Amen. You know, people, I understand I could never make a living as a comedian. I don't tell the jokes for that purpose, okay? But <laughs> laughter is like a medicine. You know, again, our speaker on Sunday, Brother Grady, is very good, can carry it through, remembers the joke and able to deliver it, okay? So I do this somewhat also when someone else comes in. You even appreciate them more, don't you? Okay. But open your Bibles again. To, that's the first joke. I almost sat on that. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is the difference between in very intense men and very intense women. The CIA had an opening for an assassin. After all the background checks, interviews and testings were done, there were three finalists, two men and one woman. For the final test, the CIA agents, CIA agent, agents took one of the men to a large metal door and handed him a gun. He said, we must know that you will follow your instructions no matter what the circumstances. Inside this room, you will find your wife sitting in a chair. Kill her. The man said, you can't be serious. I could never shoot my wife. The agent then said, then you're not the right man for this job. The second man was given the same instructions. He took the gun, went into the room. All was quiet for about five minutes. Then the man came out with tears in his eyes. And he said, I tried, but I can't kill my wife. The agent said, you don't have what it takes. Take your wife and go home. Finally, it was the woman's turn. She was given the same instructions to kill her husband. She took the gun and went into the room. Shots were heard one after another after another after another. They heard screaming, crashing, and banging on the walls. After a few minutes, all was quiet. The door opened, and there stood just a woman. She wiped sweat from her brow and said, You guys didn't tell me the gun was loaded, was loaded with blanks. I just had to beat him to death with a chair. No, okay. <laughs> This world isn't messed up right now, isn't it? Okay. There's a, you know, I, I've talked with people this week, and I, I, I take them, even so, you take them to uh, Ecclesiastes, and you, you, what do you find? There's a season for everything under the sun. And the season of having children should not be at age 65. You in agreement with me on that, ladies? With the new technology, there was this woman, she's telling about her friend. She said, regarding fertility recently, a 65-year-old friend of mine was able to give birth. When she was discharged from the hospital and went home, I went to visit. May I see the new baby, I asked. Not yet, she said. I'll make coffee and we can visit for a while first. Thirty minutes had passed and I asked, may I see the new baby now? No, not yet, she said. After another few minutes had elapsed, I asked again, may I see the baby now? No, not yet, replied my friend. Growing very impatient, I asked, well, when can I see the baby? When he cries, she tells me. 
When he cries, I demanded. Why do I have to wait until he cries? And she says, because I forgot where I put him. <laughs> Michael, you've got to give that a higher score. <laughs> okay. And I will not try to that anymore. <laughs> he gives that response a 10. No. Ephesians chapter 2. Again, we've been looking at God's grace for two weeks already. Ephesians chapter 2. And it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit now, that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all, I, you see that, what it says? Among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in, our sin, dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. In the first week, we looked at what we are because of that grace. And I've told you before, you're saved by grace. It tells us in that text, that's unmerited favor. You did not deserve salvation. But by the grace of God, it's offered unto you. It's a gift of Christ. We saw that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. It only comes from Jesus Christ. And the only way truly grace can be given person to person is when your heart is surrendered to God so that His grace may flow through you. What we are because of grace, we are called, we are forgiven, we are justified, we are strengthened. What we are made, possessors of eternal life, and we are made righteous. What are we to do because of that grace? We're to stand in grace. We're to grow in grace. We're to be established in grace. We're to testify the gospel of grace. And we're to look to the word of grace for power. And tonight I want you to think about what grace changes. What grace changes. The definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome. The grace of God changes a person when they're willing to receive it, when they're willing to live in it, and when they're willing to let God show grace to others through them. Turn to Romans chapter 6. The first thing I want you to know that grace changes. 
Romans chapter 6. Can you read this verse with me? I won't make you stand up to read it, but I want you to read Romans chapter 6 in verse 14. You ready? Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. It changes your position. You're no longer under the law, but under grace. Unmerited favor from God. It changes your position. Why do we sometimes go back under the beggarly elements of the law? What the law could not do for us, God's grace does to us. It changes our position. You know, it's like that old saying, it says, I thank God that I am not what I used to be. And I praise God that he'll help me become what he's called me to be. Your position, because of God's grace, you're no longer under the law. Question tonight, do you try to put other people under the law? You know what we want? We want God's grace in our life. But we struggle sometimes letting God's grace flow through us to that other person. We want judgment upon them because they have violated what? God's law. I've seen preachers, I've seen people, you know, and they they God's greatest attribute is righteousness. And you're unrighteous. Fear the Lord's the beginning of knowledge. Fear the Lord's the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the holy is understanding. You can't elevate God's righteousness above God's grace. You can't elevate God's righteousness above God's love. You can't elevate God's righteousness above God's mercy. Because when you want to know what God wants someone to know, Do you realize Moses got in trouble because he forgot who God was when he got angry? Instead of speaking to the rock like God had told him, he struck the rock because of the people's fleshly selfishness. But when you look at what God told Moses, who he was as he passed before Moses on the mount, The two primary words he used were, don't believe me, go look it up and prove me wrong. Mercy and grace. Merciful and gracious. You know what's supposed to be the difference between a person with religion, worldly religion, and a person with a relationship with Jesus Christ? Mercy and grace. Our position is what God changes. Can we be willing to show others that same thing?
Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Pastor Kenny and I were talking about different situations, and I mentioned something to him, and he goes, I just used that verse. And we were just talking, ministering to people, you know, I love it now, okay? Because I can go and I can talk with my pastor. I'm a pastor. He's the pastor of this church. And the minute I wanted that to take place and I pushed, he became my pastor. And we have conversations together. All right? And so we talked about different things, you know. It's like one of the things that needs to be known is out of the book of Proverbs is by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Amen? I've told you before, mercy without truth is enablement to continue in the same thing. You become codependent on their sin. Truth without mercy brings condemnation of the devil and destroys hope. But you know what it takes to confront somebody with mercy and truth? It takes the grace of God working in your life for that to take place. 1 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 13. And we've got to go above this. We'll read verse 12. Yes, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it, wow, ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. You know what it does? You know what grace does in our lives? It changes our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 changes our life. The Apostle Paul, who gave us how much of the New Testament people? There is how many books? 27. How many books? A lot of people don't want to give the book of Hebrews to Paul, but he's the author of the book of Hebrews. You can find it in the way it's spoken. Over half of you, you, your New Testament was given to you by God through the Apostle Paul. Okay. Verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 15. The right attitude to minister. The right attitude to stand strong on what God says. Verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles and am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the what? Grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me. His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was what? With me. See, it changes our life. 
he went from what the world would declare a persecutor to persecuted. From one of the leading theologians, you've got to remember, he was trained at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the foremost of the teachers, the professors or the teachers of Hebrew religion, of Judaism. He had the best training. And God called him and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. He was calling him to a life of denial, of self, and of service. And he said, I am the least of the apostles. Grace changes our life. In the addiction ministry, I don't care if it's hope, if it was are you before that, if it's any other thing you want. You know what they have to teach people? They have to teach them and help them to see through God's word that they need to come from their unrighteous state to God's righteousness. And when people are unrighteous and they're willing to acknowledge it, it's easier for them to receive the grace and the mercy of God. But you know what's very hard? It's when you have a self-righteous person. And it's much harder to bring a self-righteous person to the righteousness of God than it is to bring an unrighteous person. You can't repent of your sin until you're willing to acknowledge that you are one. It changes our life. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It changes our position. We've gone from being under the law to under grace. It changes our life, how we live before others. What do you think of when you think of someone, you say, well, that's a gracious person. Boy, they were gracious with that other person. Can you think that person could be gracious with me? You know where one of the, the least places you will find graciousness? I just looked over at my wife. Judy looked at me and she went, home. <laughs> the people that we say we love the most are the ones we are what? Least gracious to. Christian? Are you gracious? Are you? Second Corinthians chapter one. Verse twelve. The Apostle Paul is talking to the, the, the most carnal church that he started. And he says, for our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly, what? Not with fleshly wisdom. It makes no sense to the world why true believers do what they do and how they can have grace with people. 
I don't know if I have this grace in me, but I remember reading the story of a family who came to prison and ministered to the man who brutally attacked and murdered their teenage daughter. He had no one come to see him but the mother and father of that girl. And they didn't come to condemn him. They came to win him. And after months of seeing him on a regular basis, they were able to get him because he ended up, it was done in a drug stupor. It's still no excuse. They were able to bring him face to face with the Savior. And he got saved. Through the years of that, he became like a son to them. Do you know what that is? Only one thing. The grace of Jesus Christ. You know what you'll never know what you're capable of? You won't know what you're capable of until you're willing to surrender to God and put yourself in the situation seeking to show God's mercy and God's grace with what you are going through. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our what? Conversation in the world and more abundantly to you, world. To you, word. Our conversation. Our manner of life, our position in our life being shown through our words and our actions. Pastor Kenny and I were talking more and we didn't turn around and I go, you know, Pastor, you know the thing first comes to my mind? 1 John 3. And he goes, I, I use that verse. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And so shall we assure our hearts before him. But if our heart condemn us, by the grace of God, what? God is greater than our hearts and knoweth all things. Our conversation, our manner of life. Go to Romans chapter 12. Many times you hear Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 quoted, right? You hear them preached from. You hear them used in a message if it isn't the primary point of the message. And it starts off, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a what? Holy and acceptable unto God, which your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be, be ye transformed by the what? That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay? Proverbs 16. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy... See, so if you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God with your reasonable service, it's going to change your mind. It's going to change 
your thoughts. You can either think like the world or you can have the mind of Christ. You don't have both at the same time. But look at verse 3. For I say, through the what? Grace given unto me that every man that is among you, not to what? Think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. You know, when we get in trouble with being able to be gracious towards somebody, and merciful towards somebody is when we start thinking that we're better than how they're treating us. I don't deserve that. At the end of those words, grace stops. You say, is that important? Who does God resist? Who does he give grace to? Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, just like we just sang, casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. That's what God, grace changes, our position, our life, our conversation, our thoughts. How much grace is supplied? How much grace is supplied? You know, if you don't live in grace, the supply is How? Very small. Very small. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I want you to think about the context of so many times when I was looking at grace and it comes to this way with the supply. Okay, I'm going to quote you a verse. You ready? Philippians 4.19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So how much grace is supplied? As much as you need. When you turn to God for it, how many of you ever said, I'll forgive him, but I'm not forgetting that? Hmm? How much grace is supplied? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. And God is able to make what? How much? All grace abound towards you that ye always having all. When you have something that's sufficient, you have what? Enough to meet the need. All sufficiency in how many things? Okay. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound in what? Man, you want to have some fun sometime? I got caught doing this. Next thing you know, I'm over here. I come over about oh, 2 o'clock, a little after 2, somewhere in there. And I'm going back over my notes, and I'm looking at this and these verses. The next thing I saw that, that phrase, good works, and good work. And the next thing you know, an hour and a half is gone on good work. I'm looking, that's a message, this will preach, that will preach, this will preach, that will preach. You know what we think good works are? Look and see what God says they are sometimes. Because it says, by His grace, 
And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may what? Abound in what? Every good work, right? What does it mean to abound? You got more than enough. More than enough. That's how much is supplied. Go to James chapter 4. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye... Well, I don't see any need to come on a Wednesday night. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your, your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity, that's bitter hatred, enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lust us to what? Look at verse 6 though. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore, because he gives grace to the humble, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You want the grace of God in your life? He resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Then you can resist the devil. Then you can know the difference between your own choices and what the devil's doing. Amen? And all God's people said? Amen. Good night and God bless.